Hey guys, welcome to Upbeat. I'm your host, Parker Kane. Thank you for being here and for listening in. I appreciate it. Today's guest is a veteran and expert in the health and fitness industry, the founder and editorial director of one of the most popular news outlets and center hubs for all things health, fitness, and strength, Barbend.com, which is an official media partner of USA Weightlifting. He is also the host for the Barbend podcast, a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient, Harvard graduate, and previous writer for many other publications and outlets, including Fortune.com, Slate, and Forbes.com. David Tao. David, thank you very much for joining me on Upbeat. I appreciate you being here, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Barker. Glad to be here. Of course. And, and if you could, I like to I like to kick off episodes just starting with learning more about the guests. I'm sure there's a few listeners at least out there who may not know uh, very much about you. So if you could just catch us up, me and the listeners from childhood until now, like what kind of person are you? What kind of background do you have? Uh, how'd you how'd you get to where you are today? That's a, I mean, that's a broad question, but I'll, I'll do my, I'll do my best to keep it tight. Uh, I was born and raised in Kentucky um, for most of my childhood in central Kentucky. So very different area than where I live right now in New York, but um, had a great childhood kind of running around in the woods, very kind of like rural upbringing, which was, was pretty awesome. And then went to boarding school for high school, got really interested in writing in high school and kind of decided I wanted to be a journalist. So Throughout college, that was certainly something I kind of had my, my sights set on. Yeah. Joined with law school for a little bit, ended up not doing that. Most of the whole other saga. Graduated from college and decided to move to New York because I figured that was what was cool. That was how I would maybe get a position in journalism as a writer, make it in New York, Bright Lights, Big City, and all that stuff. So moved here, got a, a job writing for Fortune.com, actually pretty quickly after college. And then a few weeks into that, left for, for startup world, got an offer from a, a health and fitness media startup and worked there as their first editorial director for a number of years and then uh, left that to become an editorial consultant for a lot of like major companies that had editorial branches or were creating content and then freelance for a bunch of different editorial outlets as well. So lived that life as like a freelancer, traveling content consultant for a while. Um, and then after a number of years where I just really got tired of the travel component, more than anything else, decided to kind of reroute myself in New York City and uh, with two business partners launched Barbend in uh, early 2016, the first half of 2016. So we're not quite four years old, but we built that from just a blog with you know three three dudes creating some content around strength sports to really becoming a multifaceted media company around strength sports news analysis opinion we cover everything from CrossFit to weightlifting to powerlifting to strongman a little bit of bodybuilding as well so if you're interested in strength training or competing in strength sports or you just want to learn more about the world of strength Barbet is a, is a I'm biased, but a great resource where you can read articles, watch videos, listen to podcasts. So we really tried to build it into the go-to media brand for strength. Awesome. So you, uh, you've been around the block. <laughs> a bit. I actually think, you know, one of the, some of those formative experiences I had in content, I, when I moved to New York, I thought, okay, this is where I'm going to learn how to be a journalist and how to produce content and do all that stuff and learn about mm -hmm. media. But it was really in those years where I was traveling around and doing a lot of consulting for different companies and spending time in everywhere from Miami to DC to California, uh, all on all around all places in between uh, Las Vegas that, that I really learned what I feel like was the bulk of the lessons I use today when it comes to media and brand building. 
Awesome. So, so everything kind of has played a part into where you are now. There's nothing that uh, you would you would think is kind of like sidetracking. It always it was all beneficial. I think so. I think I'm really lucky to have had the experiences I had. I've, I've met some fantastic people and worked with some fantastic people at, at every stage of my career. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that I've gotten really lucky at um, is that I've generally been able to keep in touch with people I've worked with. And I end up working with a lot of the same people again. So people who I worked with um, as, a, as a consultant or in, in previous positions I, I might be working with now. Some of them are writers for Barbend, full-time or contributing writers for Barbend. Um, I have been really fortunate to be able to kind of build a bit of a professional network and to keep those connections uh, as I've progressed throughout my career. So I'd say that's like the thing I'm maybe most thankful for is that people haven't gotten too sick of me to not <laughs> want to work with me again. Yeah, that's no, that's a really, really good, that's good advice for all of us, you know, keep in touch with, with people in your network and hold them dear. And, and as long as you're building a strong network, then it's almost like there's always going to be available opportunities. A hundred percent. I think something that's really cool. And this is something I, I kind of thought early on in my career, if I, if I became close with someone and I was working with them, whether it was in an editorial capacity or, or something else, and say they left New York, right? Say they moved away from New York. I kind of had this in my head. I was like, well, sad to see that person go. And that's just a person I lose from my professional network. The internet is a thing. That's not really the case that just because someone moves away geographically, you can't work with them again. I've been really lucky to be able to actually work with people who I met in New York who no longer live here because I, I live and work in New York now, Barbins, uh, you know, we're, we're in Brooklyn. You know, I've been fortunate, at least, at least I'm, uh, most of our team, or part of our team is in Brooklyn. We also have some, some folks in Texas as well and, and contributors from around the globe. Um, I've been fortunate to work with those people who might be working remotely or, or who I might not have seen in person in years. And they live, you know, elsewhere in various parts around the world, really, but I'm still able to work with them in, in some capacity and keep those connections. So um, that's been that's been really cool. Awesome. Well, and I did want to uh, at least address this too. From my understanding, you went to Harvard. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. So what are some, I guess, myths about Harvard or is it, is it even maybe a little bit harder to say that you've gone there? Like you get the, like the flag back from people about going there. <laughs> Well, I think, I think you get flack from, I mean, I think every school you get, you get flack for. I think one nice thing about Harvard is like, we don't, we're not a big state school that doesn't have all these like intense sport rivalries. So I have uh, a cousin who recently graduated from the Ohio State University and like he won't even talk to anyone who went to the University of Michigan. So like, so we don't like quite have that at Harvard, I guess Yale, but like, that's not a real, that's not really a rivalry. It's kind of just like too no one cares. Um, <laughs> so I think every school you're going to get flagged. Harvard's just like, oh, you went to you went to Harvard, and it's like any school. I think people have very different experiences. Like mm-hmm. there are people at Harvard who might be like fifth generation at Harvard students, and they have there's like a building on campus named after their grandfather or something like that. And yeah, they probably haven't had a different experience in college than I did. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like. I, I had been to campus once the summer before my senior year of high school, just when I was like looking at schools and like didn't even think I was going to apply because I was like, oh, I don't think I'll get in and kind of applied on a, on a whim and, and was fortunate enough to get in. Um, but like I didn't know anyone. Um, my high school was not like a feeder for Harvard. There were more people from like various, there are high schools that send like 30 people a year to Harvard. 
like these, wow. these major like magnet high schools mm-hmm. in like New York or Boston. And I think there were like four or five people from the entire state of Kentucky in my year at Harvard. So like, I didn't know anyone going in, um, but I had a great experience. I met a lot of friends, a lot of my best friends today I went to school with. Um, and I think that a lot of your experience in college is based on like, Hey, do you know people going in? Are you familiar with the school? Right. Mm -hmm. If you're going to a school where like half of your high school goes there, you might not have as much impetus to like break out and expand your social circle. You might just hang out with your high school friends like throughout college. Right. Um, And you might not necessarily experience new things, but going to a school where I didn't know anyone, didn't know anything about it. Didn't really know how things worked. I was just kind of willing to try a bunch of stuff and half the stuff I didn't like or was really bad at and the other half I did or was like pretty good at. So yeah, it was, it was just a lot of a few years of like trying to figure out, Oh, am I good at this or do I like this? And bouncing around until I, you know, found a group of people that I really enjoyed being around. But you know, beyond that, beyond the fact that it gets, you know, pretty darn cold in Cambridge, Massachusetts during the winter. Um, yeah. I don't think my experience is too different than other people who go to like a, a private liberal arts college. Yeah, no, I feel you there. I'm in uh, Rexburg, Idaho, and it's freezing right now and like three feet of snow outside. Uh, and also my school too. I went to BYU, Idaho. Uh, there are no like sport, competitive sports or anything like that. So it was just academic pretty much. Uh, so I feel, feel you on all those things. But what inspired you or, or I guess influenced you to study what you did. So I studied, uh, my major was called social studies, which sounds like what you take in the third grade for most Americans, but it was, (laughs) it means something different. And Harvard was basically like kind of basically political science. And my track was specifically on international immigration. So I was really interested in how people ended up in different places and countries. And part of that was uh, I played rugby in college and we went on tour to Spain and France my sophomore year and we went and played abroad um, for, for a little bit. And I, it was the first time I had really been in Europe, like not with my family. And I was able to see all these different migrant groups and some were like integrating really well into Spanish and French society. And some seemed to be really on the margins of society and like they weren't able to get jobs and there was high rates of homelessness. And it was my first time kind of seeing that. Um, having grown up in like central Kentucky, you, you don't get that same exposure. And I was really interested in, in patterns of immigration and why it was harder for some groups to integrate in different countries uh, and easier for others. So I ended up just really focusing on immigration and did some study abroad in Italy and wrote an undergraduate thesis on migration patterns into Italy. Um, so what I did in college has nothing at all to do <laughs> with what I do today. But it was really useful in learning how to research, synthesize information, um, learn about different perspectives, and then write a lot of content. Like it was just writing, writing, writing on all these different immigrant experiences that hadn't really been written down, or at least hadn't been written down in English. So that was a really good skill set to build, but it really doesn't have anything to do with what I do today. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. A lot of the listeners of this podcast are college goers or recently out of college. And I think a lot of them are kind of freaked out. Like they're like, they don't have everything figured out and they don't know if they're ever going to find a job in what they're studying, you know, and it's, it's cool. It's a cool message to be like, Hey, you know what? Actually 
you could be somewhere that isn't relevant at all to, to what you studied in college and you're going to be fine. Yeah, I, in college, I, I contributed to, um, had a column in the school paper. I did a lot of writing and I knew I wanted to be, um, uh, I thought I wanted to be a journalist of some, in some capacity, but there wasn't like a journalism major. So I just wanted to pick something where I'd be doing a lot of writing. So I think mm-hmm. it's more about in undergrad, it's more oftentimes it's maybe a little different like the hard scientists, the sciences. If you want to be like a chemist or a mathematician, you should probably study, study that in some capacities in undergrad. But I just yeah. want something where I'd be doing a lot of writing, where I'd be like taking in info, trying to understand it, synthesize it, and then like spitting it out in writing. So I really, I remember going to like this basically fair they have where you can check out all the different majors and just trying to figure out like, hey, where's the one where you can like study a group or, or kind of get a project and just really dive deep and just write a lot of information on it. And that's kind of what I gravitated toward. And then from there, immigration is like the, the subcategory of that. Awesome. Love it. Well, and to transition, could you just tell us uh, about Barbend and kind of what influenced or inspired you to start that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been really interested in, uh, in strength sports and strength training. Um, <clears throat> since even before college, um, I was a competitive weightlifter for a little bit. And, you know, working in strength sports media or working in fitness media and like general fitness media in the years after college, um, I could never find that central resource for strength sports. Like, where can I get results on weightlifting and powerlifting and learn about strongman? And where can I get training tips? And where can I hear from the smartest people in those uh, disciplines and the smartest people in strength? Um, If I don't know where to start, but I'm interested in strength training, where do I go? And I could never find that central resource and I had to kind of cobble together stuff from social media and then I realized well I don't think this central resource exists so maybe there's room for a brand built around strength sports and built around strength as a, as a concept and that's kind of really where the idea for Barbit came along and I remember thinking of the general architecture of the site and and what it, the brand might feel like and potentially where it could go, you know, a year or more before we actually launched it. And it was really when um, I was able to get together with my with my current business partners and my co-founders that we were able to give shape to it. The name kind of came to me on, on a whim one night when we were after we had had a kind of deep conversation about what we wanted this site to be. Back then, it was just kind of a blog, it wasn't yeah. even like a brand. And I just remember thinking, Barbed, oh, that's kind of cool. So I just thought, I was like, this URL is definitely not available, but let me see how much it would cost to get it. Let me see who's using this URL. And no one was using it. And I got the URL for like $7 on GoDaddy at the time. And I was like, that's it. That's the name of the brand. It's super simple. And like I said, we launched it in March of 2016. I was doing most of the writing for the site, just kind of cobbling together news that I found around the strength world, event results, just trying to put it all in one place so people could kind of get it there. We raised a round of, of seed funding starting in 2016, basically, and we're able to bring on employees, um, you know, I'd say like eight to nine months after we first started and, and grow the team from there. And that's when it started growing from like a blog into a, a journalistic outlet. And then we started partnering with other organizations. Um, we're the official media partner of USA Weightlifting, for example. That partnership began in 2017. So that's when we kind of started to level that's up awesome. that next year. Yeah. And you guys have a podcast too, right? We do. I, I am one of the hosts of the podcast. I guess I'm the main host, although our fitness editor, Jake Boley, is fantastic and has been hosting a lot of episodes recently uh, and really coming to his own as a host. But yeah, I host the Barbed Podcast. We launched that in July 2019. 
And we've seen a lot of growth. We've been really thrilled with the growth. I think it's, it's, it's grown faster than I might have anticipated for such a specialized podcast. And we interview people from around the world of strength training. So um, sometimes it's researchers um, studying really cool concepts in strength training, CrossFit Games champions. I interviewed Rich Froning. We launched that podcast um, a couple weeks ago. He's a four-time CrossFit Games champ. Inspirational people who have overcome like a lot of adversity and strength training has been a big part of that. We like to tell their stories and examine that on the podcast. So anything that kind of has to do with with strength, it's it's a pretty wide variety. I think we might be uh, later in 2020 breaking it into some um, more specific, even more niche podcasts later on. But the general barbend podcast is is just talking to like the movers and shakers and thinkers and inspirational people who um, have used strength training as a component of their lives and, and advanced the discipline of strength training in some way, shape, or form. So a lot of interesting conversations, and um, it's been a real treat to be able to talk to so many cool people. So if you're looking for it, the Barbed Podcast, it's everywhere you get your your podcast. We're on like every platform. So Awesome. Yeah, that's, that is really, really cool. And it sounds like you guys are just a center hub for anyone who's like interested in any of any of these facets. Cause I know uh, the internet is loud, man. And if you are looking up stuff to like help you, like I know for me, like I'm, I need to get in, into some better shape and stuff. But when I look up like good workout routines or good recipes or anything of that, of that nature, I am overwhelmed with all kinds of different people's, opinions and it, and it gets loud and, and everyone is right, you know? So everyone's like, uh, my way is the right way. And there's a hundred thousand search results telling me what to do. And so it's cool to know that there's, you know, people like you and companies like you that make it a center hub for, for people to just go to that one thing. And speaking to that, when we started, we, we started to say for people who were like active strength athletes, or we call them participant fans, people who, you know, you might not be a world record only powerlifter, but you were interested in powerlifting and you, you might incorporate that into your training. As we've grown, our content's gotten broader. As we produce more content, our content's gotten broader and broader. And now a big push for us in 2020 is to create content that's not just for the participant fans, it's for people who might be casually interested in strength training and again, don't know where to start. So it's about building resources for people who might be looking to build that interest and might not have that base level of knowledge. Like how do we provide content that's honestly very useful to them while also still producing content for our like core, really rabid base of fans who are like super already into the stuff and have that established like knowledge base and expect that kind of higher level thinking, right? Or a higher level of content. How do we cater to both audiences is something that is a challenge I'm excited to face in 2020 and, and do more of because as we grow, our audience gets bigger and it's not just the super fans. It's people who are like, oh, I'm interested in this and I want to learn more. Um, can you show me how? Or can you like give me a, a roadmap to learn more and expand my own knowledge? Those are really important tools. Uh, for us to build and it's really exciting because we've seen some really good early results with that and really good early results with that content so it's it's one thing if like a lifelong weightlifter comes up to me and is like oh i loved your 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 news article about the results from the world championships cool right it's even nicer when someone like texts me or, or tweets at me and they're like hey i i just you know wanted to start squatting for the first time in my life and i came across a barbed resource and it was super helpful. I'm like, that's even better. 
that's like an even bigger hit of adrenaline for me to, to be able to touch someone at the beginning of their journey through strength and wellness. I love that. That's awesome. And, and then they're going to be with you through, through the whole process. Probably. That's, that's, there are a lot of resources out there, but you hope that like, if you can, <laughs> if, if, you, if you can grab someone early that they'll at least remember you. Right. I mean, there's so much content out there, right? Yeah. It's not, I don't expect anyone to only ever go to barman and that's the only thing they ever read in like fitness. That's probably not yeah. going to happen. But if we can show that we have really good content early on in their journey, hopefully they'll come back and hopefully they'll engage with more and more of our content over time. Yeah. Especially podcasts, man. Those, the podcast world is, is definitely growing, which, which I'm excited about. Um, but one thing, so I, I wanted to address this too, but I feel like uh, there's kind of some stereotypes or myths or things out there uh, in the strongman world too, like people, you know, thinking there's no point to getting that strong or or whatever it may be, or the the typical term meat yeah. <laughs> meatheads, you know, like. And so for people who maybe don't understand that world, can we kind of discuss that and break it down and and maybe bust those sure. myths? Uh, it's not a it's not necessarily about how strong they are, as it is maybe more of just like a, a healthy lifestyle or something like sure that. Thing. I will say moderation is kind of, I think the key to like a healthy life in, in all aspects. And like whether you are a, the healthiest thing for most people is not to work to become like the elite athlete at anything. Right. Like they're, you know, being the strongest person in the world isn't necessarily going to be the healthiest endeavor for everyone. Just like being the best marathoner in the world might not be the healthiest endeavor long-term, believe it or not, for everyone. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a point where you are sacrificing other aspects of your life. It could be your mental well-being, your physical well-being to like get incrementally better after a certain point. So I just want to say that out there. And I believe that's really true across most athletic endeavors. It is worth noting, and I think I want to contextualize everything by saying there are different strength sports, right? Weightlifting is different than powerlifting, which is different than CrossFit, which is different than strongman, and they're all different from bodybuilding, right? So everyone, you hear the term yeah. weightlifter, it doesn't mean bodybuilder, right? Bodybuilding is for aesthetics. It's how you look. It's not about how much you lift. Weightlifting is the snatch and the clean and jerk. It's a sport that's contested at the Olympics. Powerlifting, it's the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. It's another strength sport. It's not contested at the Olympics. CrossFit is different from all of those. CrossFit's a bunch of everything. It's endurance. It's strength. It's mixed modalities. It's functional fitness across broad time and modal domains is what they say. So there are different strength sports and there are different strength endeavors. I think it's really important to understand because it's not just going to, if you're people who are competing in these sports, you're really interested in them it's not necessarily just like going to the gym and lifting a bunch of stuff at random and just grunting and like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a meathead. I like lifting things and clanging weights. Like, sure. That's completely valid. People like doing that. I love like lifting heavy weights. It's great. But in competing in these sports, there are specific techniques. There are specific lifts you train. There are specific proficiencies that you try and build and specific mastery that you work toward. So there is oftentimes in strength sports, a goal, right? It's not just about, making the most noise and grunting the loudest. There's techniques to these lifts. I mean, in weightlifting, which is the snatch and the clean and jerk, it's often referred to as gymnastics with a barbell because it's about precision, timing, and speed, and flexibility. And I think people have this stereotype of like the muscle-bound meathead who can barely move, like Hans and Franz from the old SNL 
skit, skit, sketches, <laughs> but like yeah. flexibility yeah. and mobility is such an important part of strength sports these days. And you will rarely meet a more mobile person than a very good Olympic weightlifter because like the mobility required for those movements and the speed, it's, it's outstanding. And it takes a lifetime to build mastery in those movements. They could seem so simple, but they're so complex. So I think that breaking strength sports down into its different forms into its different modalities and even its different sports is really important because there is often is a goal is to improve in these very specific ways. And that actually tracks a very analytical oftentimes, but not always type a personality. I have met more neurosurgeons and rocket scientists at weightlifting and powerlifting meets than anywhere else in my life. Like I have met more PhDs through strength sports than I have through like my fifth year college reunion at Harvard, right? Like literally, I'm, I know more rocket scientists from strength sports than I do from Harvard University. Wow. Because it attracts a very analytical crowd. It attracts a very, uh, a crowd that really wants to measure improvement. And the cool thing about strength sports is you can measure improvement over time. It's so data oriented. I lifted this weight at this body weight. Six months later, I lifted this weight at this body weight. You can compare and contrast across across the world. And that's oftentimes why these are such international sports because weight is, is weight, basically. I deadlift this, and I'm at this body weight in this body weight category, and I know that beats someone in Uzbekistan who deadlifted that at the same body weight. You know, it, it's very comparable, and, and it can kind of speak across barriers and political divides and across languages. So that was a long-winded way of saying there are a lot of different points within the strength community Sometimes there is a lot of grunting and clanging of weights, right? But oftentimes it's in the pursuit of very specific goals based on very analytical endeavors and very well thought out training methodologies. And there's a lot of science behind it as well. There's a lot of science and beauty behind it. So that's kind of my rebuttal of, the, of my long winded rebuttal <laughs> of, of the meathead stereotype. No, I, I absolutely love that. And it got me thinking, I think I mentioned this before we, like briefly, right before we hit record, but just how on this podcast, we've talked a lot about brain power and, and I want to kind of discuss how, you know, the body, the physical aspects, the, the training, the diligence, the, everything that goes into the physical side, how that correlates with the the mindset and brain power because I'd also assume that with those people who have those such specific goals once they reach that goal they just feel like a total bad a and they're like <laughs> I'm gonna go I'm gonna go do even more you know and they just get almost addicted to wanting to uh, to continuously grow nothing in the body exists in a vacuum your brain is not separate from your physicality and your mind is not separate from your physicality. If you train your body, <clears throat> your mind will feel better and probably vice versa. There's a lot of interesting research that talks about how strength sports could can help stave off not only the physical side effects and decline with aging, but also the mental side effects and decline with aging. So that's actually really cool. We don't necessarily need to go into that. But there's a lot of research to suggest that. Like working out is good for you. Resistance training, strength training, you don't need to be setting world records. But doing strength training and resistance training is really good for the body and it's really good for the mind. Your mind is part of 
your body. You're going to see a lot of mental benefits from strength training. You're going to see a lot of confidence gains. Knowing you can lift something you used to not be able to, knowing you can do something you once thought impossible for yourself. First off, that's awesome. You're going to feel better. The people around you are going to tell you're going to feel better. You're going to like, you're just going to be a cooler person. I guarantee it. And it's not about, again, it's not about setting world records or being like the absolute best. It's about being better than you used to be. That's one of the beauties of strength sports. 99.9% .9 of people who compete in strength sports are doing it just to be better versions of themselves. Having something to work toward, having goals that are achievable has a fantastic, it gives you a fantastic mental edge, not to mention the research-backed longevity and health benefits of resistance training. So it, it, they kind of work in tandem. Sure, there's this mental component of like, I have more confidence, I feel better about myself because I'm achieving this thing. But also there's this mental component of my body is healthier, therefore my mind will be healthier because the two are inexorably linked. I love that. And it's it's just crazy to think about how, how all these things connect too because I recently just heard from a, a sleep doctor uh, who was on one of the other podcasts that I listened to. And I, I purchased his book and I learned what my chronotype is and I started learning more about sleep. And I've noticed significant changes in my life just in looking at my sleep. So you're like, okay, now it's like working out, it's food, it's brain power, it's sleep. Like all of these things are just inherently like connected with each other. We have been getting, we've been producing so much more content on sleep at Barbend and we really? just interviewed That's awesome. a, sleep, uh, a sleep researcher and performance uh, researcher uh, for the podcast episode hasn't come out yet. Um, but we write so much more content on sleep now because it is such an important component of strength training. It's when you recover. Sleep is when you produce like the first stage of sleep or one of the first stages of sleep is when you produce like something like 90% of your naturally occurring growth hormone. It's when your muscles grow. It's when you get stronger. It's not when you're in the gym. That's when you break down your muscles. It's when you recover that you get stronger. So sleep is such an important component of the strength training world and something we're pushing so hard in the recovery phase. So it's interesting you point that out that you've been talking more about that because it's been a real hot topic. Barbend recently, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. No, it is cool just to see how everything's how everything's all connected. Um, but I wanted to ask you too, just as far as uh, you know, dealing with with like discouragement and stuff like that. Like I know there's so many people, myself included, but especially when it comes to just getting their butts to the gym, you know, or what they do there or lack of not seeing results or whatever it may be. How how do you how do you deal with, with discouragement and overcome that and keep moving forward? And how would you suggest that, other, that others do that? Well, first off, I think I'm a better example for someone who has often succumbed to discouragement and failure in physical feats as opposed to someone who succeeds in them. Like I've, I've never been an elite strength athlete. I strength train. I love it. It's important, an important part of my life, but not a month goes, not a fortnight goes by where I don't miss a workout that I probably should have made, you know, like where, where I, um, I can't go more than a few weeks without having a disappointing workout, right? Like there are all these factors. Um, and the same goes for if you having been fortunate enough to talk to many elite athletes, elite athletes feel the same way, right? Like I'm a regular guy. I love strength training, but I'm not the world's best at anything in strength training. I'm not even like top 10%, but I feel these frustrations and I've talked to enough elite strength athletes where I know they feel these frustrations. So I know everyone feels these frustrations, right? And like it happens. You have to look more at the cumulative benefit. Like you miss a workout. Okay. 
So do world record holders. Like you, well, some some of them, some of them, some of them don't. I mean, there are there are there are those people in in, in life, right? Um, you know, you didn't have a great night's sleep. You don't feel super recovered. Maybe you need to take an extra day off. Maybe you need to take it lighter in training. You had a workout that you where you feel a little unfulfilled. Like I didn't I didn't feel amazing during that workout. That happens to everyone. It doesn't matter what level you're at. In fact, it oftentimes may happen more for the elite because they make progress slower than the people who are a little more untrained or are newer to it. Because as your proficiency and strength increases, your, your gains are slower. There's something called beginner gains that we all like when we first start hitting the weights. It's like, wow, I can get stronger forever. It's like, eh, it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> everyone experiences yeah. that, but you have to look at the cumulative benefit, right? Like, am I better this month than I was last month? It's not, am I better from one workout to the next? Because progress isn't always so linear. Sometimes you take two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes your recovery, your sleep, your nutrition, other factors in your life, other stressors can impact your workouts. It's like, but am I making progress in a larger time scale over time? And is that sustainable? Am I finding something where I get that's sustainable over time and I'm not getting so discouraged, even though discouragement will happen? Accepting that discouragement will, will happen and trying to look at things on a more macro scale in the picture of months and years as opposed to days and weeks, super, super helpful. Love that. That's a really good advice just to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and kind of measure it by that too, not by every single little fail that you have, but just over over the next, you know, couple of weeks, few months, like are you continuously on a on a growing spiral? Yeah, exactly. Are you are you <clears throat> leveling up over time? And sometimes that leveling up might not even be necessarily getting stronger. Like as we get older, it sometimes gets harder to gain strength and, and muscle mass. Sometimes leveling up might be, okay, I am doing good, what I can to fight the natural decline that comes with aging. Like I am aging better. That's a goal. That's a great goal, right? Uh, I've talked to a lot of people who are in their, in their 60s and 70s and even 80s and they're strength training regularly. And they're like, look, I'm not lifting as much as I was when I was 25 years old. I can't. But I feel a lot better now than if I hadn't been strength training regularly over the past few years. I've met a lot of inspiring folks who are masters athletes and they compete in different age brackets and they took up strength training in their 60s or their 70s. I mean, we've written tons of content and done interviews with people on bar band, grandmothers who take up powerlifting in their 70s and then set world records. And for them, it's about feeling better and healthier and being able to go about their daily lives with more confidence and being more independent and being able to rely a little bit more on their physicality. They're not lifting more than the 30-year-olds who are you know, at the elite level, right? And they're not going to. But they are an improved version of themselves relative to what they would be without strength training. And I think that's key to keep in mind. Definitely. Just the, the goal is to, to constantly work on being a better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, so to kind of just wrap things up, I wanted to make sure I cover this too, but for someone uh, who really has done nothing with any of this, right? And I'm referring to myself and hopefully anyone <laughs> anyone else who's listening uh, who, who's in the same situation, but what's some, what's some immediate first steps to take uh, to get yourself motivated, go to the gym, start start doing stuff, whether it's to you know, just be healthier and get active again, whether it's to lose weight, just some first initial steps. Well, one thing I do want to say is, and this is not to, not to like criticize what you said too much, because I, I love the, thank you for setting up this question. Um, 
we get a lot of messages at Barbit on our YouTube videos, comments on articles, direct messages where people say, hey, I don't live close to a gym, or I can't fit into my schedule, or I can't afford to go to a gym. And I think the first thing is, sometimes you have to get beyond the notion of going, gyms are great. If you can go to a gym, go to a gym. But you can start improving your physicality and start strength training without going to a gym. A gym is not a prerequisite. There are things you can do that don't require a gym membership that can improve your strength and improve your health. One of the best things is to walk more, right? If you have never trained physically in your life, one of the best things you can do is start walking more every week. Three 10-minute walks a day is something there's a there's a, a, a power lifter, and now he's kind of just a more of a general health and fitness thinker, and he's always self-experimenting named Mark Bell, and he's very, very Instagram famous, and he has this thing where he says, hey, I take three 10-minute walks a day. And he's like, look, if you've never done anything physical in your life, and you start taking three 10-minute walks a day, everything is going to feel better. Like, that's awesome. Oh, amazing. Like, I can do that, right? Maybe it's walking more. Maybe it's starting to master bodyweight movements at home. Like, if you've never strength trained before, and you want to get your upper body stronger, start mastering a push-up. There are some amazing tutorials. We have some great content on Barbend. There are great YouTube videos out there about mastering the push-up and getting really good at push-ups. Or installing a pull-up bar in your home. If you can walk, do a body weight, air squat, do push-ups and do pull-ups, and you can get really good at those and train those at home consistently, you're going to be you're going to get stronger than like 90% of people out there with just your body weight. It's pretty amazing. I mean, people take up yoga and lose amazing amounts of weight and get really strong because it's a body weight practice, right? Strength is not just heavy barbells and sweaty gyms that are full of chalk and metal, heavy metal music, right? Not necessarily that. <laughs> you can use your own body weight. You can get active at home. You don't need to be going to Gold's Gym, Venice Beach, the mecca of bodybuilding. Like, there's a lot of stuff you can do and a lot of different ways to, to build strength that are, think, I think, beyond the stereotype a lot of people have. I love that. That's phenomenal advice for everyone. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. I know I needed to hear it, and I know the listeners will benefit from that as well. So thank you. Uh, and then I just have a few kind of quick questions that I typically run through with almost every guest that I've ever sure. had. Uh, so let's do that. We'll just, we'll just wrap it up. Sounds good. Okay. So what is your favorite word? Weirdly the word passion. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, I overuse that word in meetings a lot. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> if you could leave one I guess, piece of content online before you pass away. So like, this is kind of an interesting question. I haven't asked a ton of people this one, but if you could only leave one post behind when you die, like what would your like last post and only post be? It'd be something about how, <clears throat> it'd be something about how doing something is usually better than doing nothing. And I think it goes back to like, it could be in the physical side, like walking 10 minutes, three times a day is better than doing nothing. Right writing for 10 minutes a day is better than not writing. You know, it's, can you, can you put some things in your day without overwhelming yourself that do something and move yourself forward? If I can write a piece that encapsulates that and encourages people to do that with whatever they want to incorporate into their lives, uh, I, I would, I would have a piece like that. I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. And that's a really, that's a really general like cop out answer, but, but I'm going to go with that. No, I love that one. Doing is always better than not. Okay, what's your favorite TV show? My favorite TV show? I was really into The Good Place. It just finished. They just had the finale. 
um, like four nights ago. It was uh, not even a week ago as of this recording. So that was my favorite TV show on TV that was like still producing new episodes. I got to find a new favorite TV show now. Yeah, I love The Good Place. Uh, however, I noticed on Netflix, it's like three seasons of it. And then on Hulu, it was airing the fourth season. Uh, but they're doing that weird thing where they expire episodes. And so I didn't realize that it was going yet. I went to catch up and it, the very first one was like episode nine. So I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't start in the middle of it like that. So I'm going to have to wait till it's on Netflix or something. <laughs> Great show. But that's, a, that's an awesome show. Uh, okay, favorite social social network platform, social media platform? Uh, probably Instagram. Uh, and that's... And you can say your website too. Yeah, Barbet <laughs> on Instagram. At Barbet. It's my favorite social account. Now, I say Instagram just because the fit, so much of the fitness industry is, and the strength sports industry in particular is on Instagram. So that's the one I spend my, the most time on um, just because that's where people do a lot of stuff. But yeah, we're at Barbet on Instagram. Awesome. I would encourage everyone to to definitely go check them out. Their website is amazing. I'd follow their podcast. I actually already did go follow your podcast. I just I haven't, I haven't listened to it quite yet, but I want I want to jump into that one for sure. Uh, but is there anything else that that you'd like to mention before we kind of close this one out? No, I just say that you know if you if you want to, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I, I don't know why, but if if you do, I'm at David Thomas Tao on Instagram. I'm at D underscore Tao on Twitter. Uh, drop me a line. Um, you know, I love hearing about ideas for, for content, how people are interacting with the bar bent. And uh, you know, thanks so much for having me on, Parker. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate you, David. Have a good one. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening into Upbeat and David, thank you very much for being on the show and for bringing so much valuable insight. I know I got a lot of help from this. I know the listeners will as well. If you guys enjoyed the episode, please hit that follow button, leave a review, tell us what you thought, engage with both of us on Instagram at barbend and at upbeat pod. Again, thank you guys very much for being here. I'll see you next week.